Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this MedHeads episode. We're very lucky to have with us Chrissy. Hello Chrissy, how are you? I'm good, thanks Fergal. How are you? I'm good. So Chrissy, the last time we spoke, we were we covered your experience in detox and the immediate aftermath. So after you'd been, you said you'd been to, what was it, 90 meetings in 90 days, is that right? Yes. Right. That's and right. You were, you were told that you had to do this in detox. And so that was the process that continued. But then what happened? Okay. Then what happened? All right. Well, when you say I was told in detox, it was strongly suggested, you know, mm. so, um, so yeah, so I did what had been strongly suggested. And um, I, I certainly, I think I mentioned last time, I wanted to tick the box and I wanted to get that 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, and I suppose as soon as I'd achieved that, I began to feel as though, um, you know, my sentence might be over, my, my work here was done. And, you know, I'd, I'd proven, um, proven them all wrong. And mm. yeah, I, I'd done what I saw. Um, I'd been asked to set out and do. Um, however, looking back on it, obviously, they were talking about doing that for much longer. Um, so the mm. 1990 was just to begin with. And um, I hadn't got a sponsor. I hadn't really looked at, um, at the steps, even though it's called you know, it's a 12 step program and it hadn't occurred to me that, that, that there might actually be 12 steps, you know, to, mm. to work through. Um, I had basically just sat mm. and listened and I did identify, I found the stories fascinating, um, but I began to get restless, irritable and discontent. And that's technically, you know, that's what happens to me before when I'm searching for a way out or when I'm looking for a drink, that's my natural resting state, sort of, yeah, right. restless, irritable, discontent. Okay. So during that process of attending 12-step meetings, 90 for 90 days, mm-hmm. you, were, you, you didn't think it really applied to you, did you? These were different people. This wasn't your tribe, was it? Yeah, absolutely. I certainly looked mm. for the differences. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I ignored the similarities and there were many mm. of them. Uh, look, mm. I, when I say I ignored them, I took them on board, I suppose. But there was always a but. But, mm. you know, um, yes, they're but. a bit different. In Yeah, exactly. They're, they're different yeah. in this sense or that sense. And, yeah. um, and you know, I mean, human beings, are, you know, different. We're from all different social sure. walks of life and what have you. And, mm. yeah, I all right. began to so, think. Here's a question for you. At that point, do you think you actually had hit truly rock bottom? No, I don't. But it's not, I mean, looking back on it, it's not as though I needed to hit a, a, more of a physical rock bottom because physically, mm. I mean, there's no question I'd hit a rock bottom. You know, I was in mm. trouble. Um, what I hadn't really uh, grasped was the idea that you know that that I that there was no way that I could control my drinking. You know, I hadn't I hadn't accepted that if to me if I thought long and hard enough about it, I must be able to outthink this. I've got all this knowledge. I'll take it with me, 
and I'll actually use it to my advantage when I'm drinking, <laughs> you know. So mm. um, that was my plan. Uh, I sort right. of, yeah, I really thought I'd set all these limits. I understand now that my body's different as well as my mind, you know. I can, mm. all of these things I'd begun to accept, but I hadn't accepted the fact that, um, that yeah, that I could never have a drink again. I really thought that just give me enough time to get well and I'll be back to my, you know. Right. Well, so the funny that, thing is I... I that thought that you had, that, that, that you, you could actually control your drinking, do you think that was the source of your restlessness, your irritability and your, what was the other word, the three words, restless, irritable and discontent? Did you yeah. think that you were the one person in that room that could actually control your drinking eventually, as if it was a skill to be mastered? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, mm. and that is, that's another th thing... Um, you've touched on something there. I had these sort of delusions of grandeur. You know, I, I was mm. delusional in, in thinking that somehow, mm. yeah, I was going to be able to do what um, every other, other alcoholic in the world um, hasn't mm. been able to do, and that is, you know, to control my drinking. And the thing is, when I was able to control it, because there were times where I could just really, you know, knuckle down, the fact of the matter was I didn't enjoy it. So, you know, I, I was either out of control and that's the way I like to drink or I was controlling it occasionally mm. and it was just, it was pointless. So it wasn't, you know, I'd rather not, you know. Right. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk about then the first drink after your detox. You've been to 90 and 90. It really mm -hmm. wasn't for you. You were different. You were the mm -hmm. one person that could actually control your drinking. You were feeling restless yeah. and irritable and discontent. Mm -hmm. Tell us what happened. So my husband said one Sunday afternoon that he was going to a football match mm -hmm. and I was home with the kids and they were very young. Um, yeah, so there it was three under three or might have just been over by that stage. But I was feeling put upon. <laughs> I felt I sat in pity about it's not fair. He can go out and have fun and be with his friends. He can go out and have a drink. Why can't I? I didn't like the fact that I was different and I didn't want to be different. I just didn't want to be different. I couldn't understand how come some people can do this and I can't. And then it suddenly occurred to me, well, actually, you can, Chrissy. You can if you want. And that's exactly mm. what I did. Um, and I grabbed the three kids, went through the bottle shop and bought three bottles for 20 bucks. And that's, you know, there was no mucking around. Um, yeah. And, and I came home, popped, popped the cork and that was it. Um, and my father-in-law came up and I couldn't understand why he was so shocked, why he was quite upset. How did he know to he, come up? My husband called because uh, I said, I'll, I, I must have texted my husband and said, I'll just let you know I'm having a couple of drinks because that was yeah mm. my famous you know catchphrase, couple of yeah, drinks. So, couple of drinks, um, right. yeah, so he was immediately on to his dad who lives seven doors down from us and, mm -hmm. um, and his dad came up and, of course, you know, his dad was concerned. His dad played a and his mother, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, played a big role in taking care of our children when I was in treatment. And, you know, um, I, in my selfishness, did not see that I was doing anything wrong. Like, to me, um, this was my right. As a human being, I, I had a right to make choices. And as I said, I, I've sort of um, completed my sentence and this is my mm. time, yeah, to have back. So and you were of the view that you'd been through detox, you'd done the training, you were ready to do controlled drinking and this was your right. Yes, absolutely. 
So you bought three bottles of wine, mm. <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> um, so it, I'm sure my intention would have been to have three bottles over three nights or something like that. Um, so I had a I had a glass, and immediately I felt what I'd been taught about, which is um, in layman's terms, this just this allergy, this phenomenon of craving. It's something that um, I've said before, it becomes this insatiable desire for something like I, and mm. once I've had that first sip, I can feel it through my muscles, my bones, something in my thinking says, oh my gosh, you need to do more of this and you need to do it now. So what I'd, what I'd heard and learned and been taught about the phenomenon of craving and the allergy was actually taking place and I had this evidence mm. that I could feel. So, you know, as much as I tried to deny that, I also knew deep down, well, they're oh. right. I, once I start, I can't right. stop. So what happened the next day? What happened? So I finished a lot of, you know, that, that alcohol and, um, and I woke up the next day pretending not to have a hangover and said, oh, well, that was all fine. That was all good. And um, see, you know, I'm cured. It's okay. And I set myself a goal of um, drinking something like once a month, you know, mm -hmm. or um, only on special occasions. So I immediately got the yearly calendar out and tried to find all the special occasions where I could <laughs> look forward to. And, you know, it occurred to me, honestly, that even if I can set a limit of once every two weeks or once a month or whatever, that I am literally going to be just existing between drinks. And, you know, I mean, that took a little while to realise, but I thought, there's no life in between. And then I have a drink and I get this temporary relief and then I've got some sort of horrible consequence, whether it's physical, emotional, you know, or um, environmental, um, some sort of consequence. I've got to pay for that the next day in all sorts of different ways. And, you know, I began to realise that what I saw as the reward actually was not a reward and that I've got a whole lot of time now to live between now and the next drink and it's really miserable and so um, did you attend uh, meetings after this time that you'd had your three bottles of wine did you go back to meetings yeah I did on and off I'd go mm -hmm. back for I guess what I would call a little bit of damage control when mm -hmm. when I was getting a bit out of hand um, mm -hmm. and I so remember can you give us my... an example of being out of hand after this Oh, well, I might have drunk three nights in a row and that, that to me, you know, mm. was going back to my old habits. But, you know, I've, right. I've come to learn today that it, to me it's not to do with even, you know, the quantity of alcohol, the frequency, mm. um, the type of alcohol. It's really not. It's the consequences for me personally, you know, and it's, it, mm. it's the damage that alcohol does. What does alcohol take away from my life? Um, and so that's why. What, when was your last drink? So my last drink was, um, okay, so I was at work on a Friday and I got to about Friday lunchtime. I started to get the shakes. I was feeling yuck and I started to think I'd drink would be nice, you know, um, mm. and I was contracting at the time. So um, I was running my own business and I said, listen, I'm out of here early today. I'll come early next week and, you know, sort it out. So I knocked off work about one o'clock on a Friday and I got about... I don't know, maybe a kilometre down the road and there's a pub on the left-hand side and I knew it was, I knew I had to pick my children up, you know, say three or four o'clock from childcare and I thought, well, I've got time to duck in for one drink, maybe two, you know. Mm, just <laughs> so, a couple. Uh, 
Just a couple, yeah, exactly, just a couple. And, um, you know, knowing, absolutely knowing what my responsibilities were for the end of that day. So um, I think I missed the welfare bus completely, um, which would have ended about 11pm and, yeah, got home shortly afterwards, caught a taxi home. And uh, the next morning I started getting all these text messages from my mother's group friends and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, why are these people hassling me at whatever time of the morning it was? And I looked at my... I looked at my phone and there were messages asking like, where are you, Chrissy? We're already here. The, the girls are waiting, yada, yada. And I realised that um, that I'd booked tickets for a fairies concert to take my daughter to. She was, you know, about three and a half at the time. And I'd booked those in recovery or in sobriety in the first four months that I was sober. And I, we mm. were so excited about it. And I remember thinking like, it's nothing much to other people, but this is something, this is real life, like I'm living, you know, I was so excited about it and so was my daughter um and I thought oh my gosh I'm lying in bed my hair's a wreck you know I feel like I've been hit by a Mack truck what am I going to do and Mm. um I thought get off your backside Chrissy pull yourself together and for the first time in your life stop being so selfish and just get there so I don't know if I grabbed a toothbrush and we ran out the back door and you know I, I grabbed a tutu and threw that on my daughter and we got to the school and I would have looked like absolutely nothing on earth. Um, but Ella ran straight down to the stage um, and started dancing with her friends and all her little, you know, and my mother's group friends were there. It was really, really dark in this hall. And immediately I just felt this overwhelming feeling of sadness and um, tears were streaming down my face. Um, you couldn't see it, thank goodness, because it was dark. But I looked at Ella and something just hit me. I realised they say that, you know, it can go from your head to your heart. And honestly, in that moment, it went from my head to my heart. Like I knew that I was an alcoholic. Like deep within, I said, you know, to myself, Chrissy, this is not going to change. You're an alcoholic. I looked at her dancing and I thought, I'm going to take away every bit of freedom my children have. Um, yeah, and and actually, I looked up at this stage and said, "Can you help me?" And um, I got to a meeting uh, that night. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody drove me because I was too sick, and I have not had a drink from that day forward. Um, I did a few other things though, as well as that, um, mm-hmm. in order to stay sober. But yeah, that was that was my last drink. So. That hit you. You had that moment of realization, that visceral realization that that you were an alcoholic, you couldn't control. And then you really engaged in AA. Then I really did. Tell us about about that step when you really did say and accepted Mm -hmm. that you had to do this program. So I start again. We we mentioned AA. I can't say that. Start again. Cut that bit out. So... You had this visceral realization that you were an alcoholic and you could not do this. And that, I think, was the stimulus for you to then to really then decide that you were going to actively engage in a 12-step program. What happened next? Um, Okay, so you're right. That's... And I knew that once I did all of the suggested things that I'd probably get it right. And I know that Mm. sounds really arrogant, but that's what stopped me from asking for a sponsor, from getting into the steps, because something told me Mm. 
I'm looking around at all these sober people. I'm thinking they're doing this and they're not drinking. So I'll probably get this. Anyway, so I got back and um, it was actually a, f- a few days after that first meeting, I got to a meeting at 6 a.m. It started at 7, but I got out. I was out the front by 6 because there's something safe about meetings. I felt safe if, if I was there and I wasn't mm. at home in, you know, in my um, old environment really and um and a woman came in and she had the most obnoxiously loud laugh uh, especially for 7 a.m but she was just she was just hilarious but she was loving life she was so free she looked happy joyous and free and um and she spoke about the program of action that you know the 12 steps and she said to me and i just bawled my eyes out this entire meeting and at the end she held my hand and she said darling would you like would you like me to be your sponsor and i looked at her and um and I was still terrified of women, still didn't trust them, and I couldn't answer. I just looked at her and I didn't know what to say. And then she said, "How about I be a temporary sponsor?" And I said, "That that I can do. That would be wonderful." And um and she said, "Yeah, grab a couple of books and come up to my place in the in the Dandenongs on the weekend, and we'll start." And that's that was the beginning of the solution for my condition for me. Um, mm. I understand that there are, you know, different solutions, different strokes for different folks, but absolutely for me and for anybody else that I've, you know, met and come to know in a fellowship, this is, mm. you know, the 12 steps of the solution. So the conviction that you had to get to the 12 step program, was that then superseded by a conviction that you had to internalize the 12 step programs ideology? Yeah, it was. So it's, it's difficult to explain. So I had a woman basically freely give to me what was freely given to her. And that was a whole lot of time, a whole lot of patience, a whole lot of love and tolerance. And we went through two books and one was written in 1935 and it's as apt today as it was back then. It still has, you know, the same, uh, it's an instruction manual essentially. And I was told to um, except that I am powerless over alcohol, which is not always, you know, that was obviously my difficulty for 20 years. Um, except that I'm powerless, um, come to believe that maybe being that alcohol is bigger than me and stronger than me and has shown that to me many times, maybe I might need to get a power greater than myself in order to fight fire with fire. So that made sense. Um, it, it asked me to, you know, hand it says hand your will in your life over basically it asked me to almost surrender and say you know what I'm really bad at running my own life just on my own like maybe Mm. something else or someone else or you know a whole lot of people could help me manage a little more easily that was Mm. the truth then I did a whole lot of inventory which again told me the truth about myself it looked at the dishonesty the fear the self-pity the selfishness the self-righteousness, the grandiosity, the low Mm. self-esteem, you know, you name it. And they're all the things that leave Mm. me restless and irritable and discontent. Like when I don't Mm. know, when I can't acknowledge those things and look at them and and write them down, which I do every night in a step, step 10 review, when I can't see my defects of character, I don't know what needs changing. So I've got no, I've got no tools, but to blame you, to blame, yeah, doctors, husbands, mothers, fathers, whatever. Um, Mm. I'm certainly not going to look at myself, but this program gets me to look at myself. And I guess that's why Mm. some people object to it because no Mm. one, 
Well, some people don't like to look at themselves, right. but that's so where was the answer the, is. Was there a time when you realised this is real? I, this, this, you know, this really does affect me. This, this is an internal message that I can accept. I mean, did that have a reaction in you? Yeah, I, um, I think I was three, four months sober um, for mm. the last time, and I'd mm. been seeing my sponsor, and she had moved down to Croydon. Um, from up in the hills and I didn't know her phone number but I knew her new address and I don't know what it was that morning but for some reason I think I'd been through the first three steps for the first time ever not only mm. was I not just drinking like just for today I mm. really felt like maybe this was going to work like maybe I'd found the answer for the first time in my mm. life I had hope like real hope and mm. it wasn't faith just it wasn't blind faith. I guess it was beginning to be faith based on experience. I was having these nice experiences. And anyway, I rocked up to her place. Um, I'd never met her husband. I was bawling my eyes out with complete relief and happiness. Mm -hmm. And he opened the door and he said, oh, my God, you'd be here for Trish. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, um, and, and I said, I'm so sorry, I haven't called ahead, but is that all right? And anyway, I came flopping into her bedroom onto my knees, this like overly dramatic, ridiculous scene. But she laughed her head off and we both just, I was literally rolling around on the carpet laughing because I, yeah, again, it's so hard to put this stuff into words. I just knew that, oh my gosh, like this ludicrous sounding program, this crazy, you know, mm. stuff. This is actually working, and right. um, yeah. So it took you a, a good few goes at, at, at engaging mm -hmm. before the inherent truth of the program really settled down in your gut, where you realized it was going to be for you. Yeah. When we talk about 12 steps, there's a lot of resistance to it. What do you think, where do you think the resistance comes from? <clears throat> I think a couple of things. One, I've mentioned mm. that, that it's a, we have to look at ourselves and some mm -hmm. people are hell-bent on still blaming others. Most of yeah. us come in blaming them, those and they. So that's mm. the difficult part. Um, it's arguably the biggest barrier is the word God and everybody, mm. thinking, <clears throat> everybody thinking that it's a religious program. You know, and, so this you know, concept of the higher sense. power, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So tell us about what that higher power means and how did you get over that issue? Uh, in the end, I was desperate enough to, like that gift of desperation, I really, you know, uh, I, I had no choice but to leave a crack in the door open. My sponsor said to me, Chrissy, as long as you don't say absolutely not, as long as you just say maybe, you know, why don't we sit down and read a book? Because I said to her in the beginning, I don't believe in this God stuff. And mm -hmm. she said, that's fine. Can you read a book? And I said, I can do that, you know. Yeah. And that's honestly, that's what I needed to, um, that whole concept has developed over a long period of time and it changes i still don't know what my higher power or god is and actually i'm scared about anyone who says i know who god is i don't want to know you because that's weird you know mm. like who does know that stuff um mm. it, so just it, to be clear is, you don't yeah. need to have a religious faith to, to actively not. and productively engage in a 12-step program and so the belief uh, in the higher power belief in god doesn't. We have a lot of atheists, agnostics, mm -hmm. um, that a lot of people will use uh, the, the program or the principles of a 12-step program or the principles, you know, um, to, uh, as their higher power. 
So, mm-hmm. so not even, you know, and, and that will work for a lot of people. Um, it, I would just really say to people to not use that or have that as a barrier because the walls will come down. Like, you know, it, it's really for me, the freedom is in what we call the house cleaning steps four to nine, just clear up the wreckage of the past, have a look at yourself, look at the truth, um, set about restoring relationships, making amends where you can. Um, and that can be over a lot of years. That doesn't have to scare people either. Some people get scared by it. Um, you know, I was able to restore relationships with my father. Um, I was able to nurse him when he died, when, you know, there was a stage in my life where I wanted both of my parents to die. Buggy, you know what I mean? Because I was so angry with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I was able to, there's so much repairing and restoration that goes on. And then in the last steps, what I get to is um, continually having a look at myself but trusting in something that's bigger than me. And the best step is the last one where I get out and start helping somebody else and I become mm. of service and I become useful and I've got mm. a purpose and I don't just bleed from society the way that I used to, yeah. you know, do, even if it was so, in a public health system. I mean, that's a very interesting point that you find the most validating the, the fact that you have now got a higher purpose. I mean, that, that alludes mm. to the concept of eudaimonia. Uh, so eudaimonia is this concept where you have the, the benefit, you have a, a higher purpose in life that guides your life, which is different from hedonia, which is pleasure. So, you know, you, to, for optimal psychiatric and mental health, you need the appropriate combination of purpose and pleasure. But you find that your purpose is given to you by this 12-step program, and you derive a lot of grinding and a lot of support from that. Mm. Absolutely. That you've, you've just, yeah, you've put it perfectly. And that's, Mm. you know, people say, how do you stay sober? And that's Mm -hmm. how I stay sober. My primary purpose is to, is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And I'll be doing that until the day, Mm. you know, I leave the planet. (laughs) Yeah. So that purpose gives you the resilience to continue your journey, your daily journey of sobriety. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. does. And it's yeah. it's something that initially would have sounded was overwhelming. I thought I can't mm. ever imagine being able to help another person, but it mm. is something that develops over time. And yeah, it takes the time. people with it does. And you know, and mm. people with quality recovery are the ones that get out and help others. Um, yeah. and you know, and that that forms just such a huge part of why I am happy today and free inside. Mm. And and why the ordinary is so beautiful, you know. I don't right. need bells and whistles. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, if we can just recap on the on the potential barriers. First of all, you've got to be ready. You've you, you've got to stop being deluded that you can control your your, your drinking. Secondly, yeah. that you have to accept that there's a certain amount of introspection. You have to look at yourself. <laughs> Thirdly, you have to deal with the issue about you know this this concept of higher power. Fourthly, then you have to start engaging in, you, in, in a process that you've described as housekeeping, sweeping out all the cobwebs and, and repairing mm-hmm. the house. And then finally, you get to the point of having purpose. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very scary prospect. What's the first piece of advice you give people who are considering entering into this program? How do, how do you advise people to overcome those, those fears? Um, well, firstly, it's interesting the way that you just sort of summarized it all because, you know, it, it is a lot, but 
But when when I'm first working with somebody, um, we go back to the very very basics of it is one day at a time. These steps are in order for a, for a, a reason. You know, um, when I'm taking a girl through the program, we're talking about at least twelve months to get through the first. Mm. And this is just you know talking once, twice a week, having some time where we read together and what have you. So it's a slow process, but it's also um, I guess I would just say to not, yeah, to not let it overwhelm you, to look around, to have a look at the evidence. And the evidence is that you've got um, rooms and rooms full of people who have really purposeful, um, wonderful lives. And somehow they got, you know, to that, to that place. And it's literally a day at a time, a page at a time. Um, I, I would... I would say, you know, to me, I, I knew in the end that I didn't actually have a choice, but thank goodness I got to that, I got to that stage because, I mean, really, yeah, I had to have almost lost everything, um, certainly internally, um, before, I, before I went into this program. But um, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's what I'd say, Fergal. It's, it's, a, it's a big question, really, because... Um, you know, it's not often that we sit down and explain the steps all at once because they can seem overwhelming. But mm. um, I, I would just, I, I just say to girls, um, I mean, a lot of it is starting to build relationships as well. I was completely um, unable to sort of to maintain or to create sort of meaningful relationships, you know. And so mm. I've been able to do that over the last nine or ten years. And so now I know I, I, when I'm speaking with a newcomer, I know she's in that same position that I was in, you know, that yeah. she's finding it hard just to string a sentence, much less, yeah. you know, get her head around all this stuff. So, And I think that's really yeah. important to emphasize to anyone watching this is that when you go to a 12-step program meeting, you are surrounded by people if they are in uh, if they are in sobriety they know exactly what you are going through yeah this brings me right. to, this brings me back to a, a point that i want to draw out as well that when you the, there's not necessarily one meeting fits all there's lots of meetings mm -hmm. but there are meetings where it's all about the horror stories and there are also meetings mm -hmm. whereby or wherein it's all about the recovery can you tell us about about that yeah. distinction yeah, so the ID meetings are the ones that I did sit in for 1990 um, without knowing that there were more recovery-based meetings. Sorry, what's um, and ID? So, they are, so ID meaning identification, so identification, people will get up yeah. and they do the class. Well, so the newcomer is supposed to identify and most, most will if, mm. if they've got a, a drinking problem. Mm. Um, and so I guess the format is that you share about what it was like, what happened, what it's like today. But based on that format, yeah, you hear exactly what you said, the train wrecks, you know, mm. um, bashing, crashing. And that, that was my opportunity to look for the differences. Whereas later when I met my sponsor, she took me for the first time to a recovery-based meeting where um, it was a, a guest sharer who shared on something to do with the, the steps and something to do with how the steps work in their life. And, you know, it was for the first time I was hearing about this kind of recovery sort of stuff, then there's also big book studies, um, which, you know, um, I'm part of a big book study. Um, there's, oh gosh, discussion group meetings. There's all sorts of meetings mm. that are just 
talk about the solution to this illness and talk about yeah how how we navigate our way out and it becomes really fascinating i mean that you know the um opportunities are endless and it, it just yeah. i learn so much more i mean i could go through this book with someone 100 times which you know will happen one day because i'm probably up to about 40 times or something um, and i see something new every time and um someone asked me like oh my gosh don't you get bored with this same book and i said it's like when you're watching the best movie you've ever seen in your entire life and if if i've got to watch it on my own yeah that's going to get boring but if i'm going to watch it with someone who's never seen it like I'm going to love it just as much because I'm waiting for them to to get yeah. the you know the punchline yeah. or whatever, and that's what it's like. Like I, mm. I just continue to see the little bits that I missed last time, and mm. um, and I continue to grow. And I I love watching the lights come on in people's eyes, and that literally happens. You see the transformation; it's pretty incredible, actually. Um, All right. Yeah, and that's that's what keeps me going. Well, well Chrissy, we've we've run out of time, so. Uh, what would you say? What would you say, as one final message to someone watching this, thinking about how they're going to get help? What would you say? My goodness, um, I would say honestly to please take that leap of faith. Um, it's difficult to trust or believe in, you know, what a complete stranger is saying, but just know that I've, I've been there, but thousands of others have been there. We do know how you feel. There's a whole lot of help out there and the opportunity or the chance to be happy, joyous and free is honestly here waiting. Um, there's people armed with the facts. They can help you, you know, and, um, as we say, like we do the, let the big book do the heavy lifting and you can let go of, yeah, all the weight. That's what I'd say. Chrissy, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you've got something out of listening to Chrissy's story. If you've been affected by the issues that we've touched on in this series, then please see below for links for further help. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been a MedHead series. Thank you for watching.